0: My name is Aaron and I am um, associate pastor and worship pastor here at the fellowship and uh, it's my honor to get to open God's word and talk about another Christmas carol. Um, We started this series last week and we heard from Daniel M., our teaching pastor, we talked about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and we, we learned seven names of God that are in that particular Christmas hymn and we learned that it had basically two meanings. The apparent meaning, which was that Christ would come. And then there was the second meaning that is for us today, that he will come again. But probably my favorite takeaway from the message last week was when Daniel got us to the end and he, and he, then he dropped some, oh, it was tricky. It was pretty cool. The first letter of every name of God in reverse order acrostic made two Latin words, arrow cross. And it means I will be with you tomorrow. And when he said that, I was like, Whoa, that's it right there. That's how you close the message. I'm hoping that something similar to that happens today. Maybe not, but, uh, but that was a great takeaway. We have hope because Jesus is with us today and he will be with us tomorrow and so we can have hope. This morning we're going to turn our attention to one of the most popular Christmas hymns that we have. O come all ye faithful. We just sang a version of that song and guess what? We're going to sing we're going to sing it again when we're done here, all right? It has been translated into over 125 different languages and is literally sung all over the world each and every Christmas season. And the refrain Of this particular song is sung all throughout the year by Christians everywhere, and so it is. uh, It's a great, powerful Christmas hymn. I love it. Um, Imagine that the worship guy loving loving a song that calls us to worship. Right. That's what it's going to be about. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the origin of the song, where it came from, who wrote it. We're going to look at the stanzas, why they were written, the way they were written, and then we're going to have some takeaways for us. So let's pray together, and then we'll jump right in. God, we give you thanks today for the chance to gather here and to worship, and Lord, my prayer for this time is that you would speak to us, God, that it would would be all about you today as we look at this Christmas hymn um, and the the power that's behind it, the, the big biblical truths that are behind this song. God, would you move among us today, and that is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said... There we go. I want to make sure you're with me. This song was written by a man named John Francis Wade. He is recognized as the composer and the author of this hymn. He was an Englishman and he was a Roman Catholic. Now, here's the the crazy thing he actually left England in the 18th century because of discrimination against Roman Catholics at that time in England. And so he goes to France and he. Teaches music at an English college in Douai, France. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but that's what we're going with today. Douai, France. And became renowned, he became renowned as a copyist of musical scores, a copyist. For my simpleton brain, that means he could write good, okay? He could write real good and he translated. He knew English, he knew Latin. And he wrote beautiful scores and he copied that. That was a way that he made some extra money being in exile there in France. In 1743, when Wade was 32 years old, he produced the very first copy that we know of, of his Latin Christmas carol titled, Adestus Fidelis, and that would later become known as, O Come All Ye Faithful. Wade seemed particularly impressed with the way that the shepherds responded together. When they, were, when they heard about the birth of Jesus. And so that's why he wrote the song. Fast forward 100 years. The definitive English translation dates back to 1841. When a guy named Frederick Oakley translated Wade's four verses into English. Oakley was also an Englishman, a Roman Catholic. And he was known for his ministry to the poor at Westminster Abbey. And for his preaching at Margaret Street Chapel in London. Now this is this is where it starts to get a little funny to me. His first translation of Adestus Fidelis, he entitled Ye Faithful Approach Ye. Ye Faithful Approach Ye. Now I have a hard time saying that. So it would be difficult to say, I'll tell you this, just a little insider tip here from a music guy. If you can't say it, it's hard to sing. So as you can imagine when he wrote Ye Faithful Approach Ye and he presented it to his church, it did not Catch on, all right? It did not, but he loved the song. He loved what the song said. And so he did what all songwriters and arrangers and composers do. He went back to it and said, I'm going to make this better. I'm going to make it better. So about a couple of years later, he gave us what we now know as O Come All Ye Faithful, and that one stuck. Robert Morgan, who's a pastor, and he has written a book on hymns and their origins He says this about this song and its author and its translator. Two brave Englishmen, Catholics, lovers of Christmas and lovers of hymns, living a hundred years apart, writing in two different nations, combined their talents to bid us come, joyful and triumphant, and adore him, born the king of angels. That's where the song comes from. What I want us to do now is let's take a look at the stanzas, let's see what they say, and let's see why he wrote them the way that he did. First stanza, it'll pop up on the screen, read along with me, actually just follow along with me. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye, to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels, O O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. So this is a call to come to Jesus, to adore him. In scripture, we know of two groups that came to Jesus, the shepherds and the? That's right, wise men, magi, whatever you're used to calling them. The shepherds, the account of the shepherds coming to Jesus takes place in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 20. And I want us to to read that. Uh, This is when the, the angels have come to him. They've told him about the birth of Jesus. And here's what they do in response. Verse 15. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is such a beautiful, beautiful passage because the story of God, the story of Jesus coming to earth, He it starts with shepherds. Nobody's significant. They were in the field watching their sheep, but God reveals his son to the shepherds, and the angels invite those shepherds to greet the lamb of God, and I love it says they hurried to see him, well translated they ran, they ran to see that the Messiah had been born, and they spread the word, I love that, they see the angels, they run, they see Jesus, they worship him, and then they spread the word, and then they return and worship again. What a powerful example for us today of things that we can do when it comes to Jesus. Second group that came to Jesus, not in the manger, but a little bit later, the Magi, the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and verses 9 through 11, let's look at that. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?' We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So, the magi come, the wise men. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel so far, right? Now, here's what I want to tell you. This may be a disappointment. We don't know for sure that there were three kings, three magi. just don't know. We have assumed that. Does anybody know why? Because of the gifts, right? Exactly. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And and our I mean I get it because I'm a linear thinker I want everything to match like here this has nothing to do with the message today but I love symmetry and if you look at this room it's not symmetrical anywhere okay you don't don't do it right now but when you're leaving look look at the back walls specifically what I'm talking not right now but later it's not symmetrical okay drives a guy like me crazy so I get it that Christendom three gifts. Let's make it three kings, okay? Three gifts, three kings. But we don't know that for sure. We don't know how many wise men or magi that there were. And there is a great debate on who they were, where they came from. There are some scholars who believe that they were Jews that remained in Babylon after the exile in the Old Testament. There are some scholars who think that they were Persian astrologers. There are some who think they were sorcerers and wizards. But here's the thing. Whoever they were, whatever their origin was, they traveled thousands of miles to see the King of the Jews. And they overcame barriers of great distance. They likely overcame barriers of race and religion in order to get to Jesus, who was probably one to two years old by the time they got there. Think about that long journey. All right? I. I get annoyed traveling from here to the other campus if I get stuck on division, all right? I may not have had the same persistence that these magi had. But I love that Scripture tells us that when they finally found him, they responded with great joy, with worship and gifts. And this, the shepherds and the magi, this is where John Francis Wade started this wonderful Christmas hymn. He calls the faithful and the joyful and the triumphant. And this is an echo of the call that we hear all throughout Scripture to come joyfully before the Lord. Just one example of that throughout Scripture is Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. It says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. So... Stanza number one, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come and adore him. Second stanza. Now, this carol, when compared to last week's O come, O come, Emmanuel, um, it's a little bit lighter on theological insight. Still got great theology in it, but I mean, last week we're listing seven names of God and then that whole flip around thing that Daniel gave us. I mean, it it was pretty heavy, right? This was not quite as heavy except for... The rarely used, and honestly, it's just not very well known, the second stanza of O Come All You Faithful. And if, if you're like me, when I read this in just a second, this, is, this might be the first time that you've ever seen these words. All right? So here's the second stanza of O Come All You Faithful. True God of true God, light from light eternal. Lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Now, like I said, that was the first time that I'd really encountered that particular stanza of this song. And if you were to look at, I grew up in a Baptist church, and we had hymnals. And if you were to turn to a Baptist hymnal today, and you open it up, there are three stanzas, and that's it. It's not even written, all right? It's also true for the word hymnal. Pretty much all a lot of English hymnals don't have this stanza in it. Now, the interesting thing about this that I learned through through studying for this is this verse is almost a direct quote from something called the Nicene Creed, and this was written in the 4th century A.D. during the first ecumenical council, so we're going to nerd out here for just a second. Let me. I'm going to give you a brief history, okay? Church history. As you may know, the church was persecuted pretty severely in its early days, started with the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they persecuted Christians. And it was kind of the Roman Empire's policy of their government to persecute Christians until the emperor Galerius issued his famous edict of toleration and that ended the official persecution of Christians. And why is this important? Because at this point in time, the Christians are able to get together and to go over their core beliefs, kind of work through what they believed and why they believed it. That's an important thing to do. And one of the biggest questions that they wrestled with at the time was about Jesus. Was he God or was he man? And so that kind of set the stage for the Roman Emperor Constantine to come on the scene. And he's a professing Christian himself, and he calls this first ecumenical council because there was a group saying that Jesus was fully God and that he was of the same nature as God the Father. And then there was a group that was saying that Jesus was divine, but that he was a created being, not the same nature as the Father. So Constantine knew of this debate, and he wanted Christian leaders to get together and resolve the issue, and that's why he called them together. So the result of those leaders' work and their debate and their prayer was something that became known as the Nicene Creed. And I want you to watch how closely this matches our second stanza. Listen to this. This is the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth. The Nicene Creed, as it became known, drives home the idea of equality of Jesus with the Father in their natures. And I want to tell you, honestly, don't we still see that debate today? Uh, I, I know for sure that we do, because after one of our services this year, uh, I was approached by someone... Who said, Hey, I want to ask you a question. This this whole Jesus is God thing. I mean, are we sure about that? He was born. I have a hard time getting there. So, what that tells me is that this question, that's relevant today. It's relevant to ask that question. And here's the thing: John Francis Wade, he wanted to be sure that his hymn affirmed the fact that Jesus, the true God, The God of gods would come into the virgin's womb and would be born and laid in a manger and then would dwell among us as a man. And that is the wonder and the mystery and the reverence of Christmas. That's what it's all about, that God saw us, saw our sin, and knew that there was a price to be paid. And so what did he do? He sent his son Jesus, who was fully God, to earth he became fully God and fully man. Powerful, powerful stuff. That's what that second stanza is based on. Let's look at stanza number three. This is cool also. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exultation. O oh, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God. Glory in the highest. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the choir of angels that, uh, that was heard by the shepherds in the field that holy night. And it takes place in Luke chapter 2, and that was the basis of John Francis Wade's writing of this third stanza. John or Luke chapter 2, verse 13 says, Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, for those of us that love music, it's awesome to think that the beginning of Jesus's story here on earth starts with a song and it's a beautiful song. The angels sing it. I just, can you imagine, can you imagine be sitting in the field irritated at your sheep that aren't doing what you want them to do? And all of a sudden an angel appears and then there's a, a chorus of angels and they sing. Can you imagine what that would be like? And they sing, Glory to God in the highest heaven. This song in scripture has become known, and and it's often called Gloria. And you probably know that it's the basis for many modern choral works, for many Christmas carols, for ancient songs, and for modern worship songs as well. John Francis Wade was inspired by the song of the angels, and he wanted to tell us, ask us to come and behold the Savior of the world, and adore him. Then he wanted to make sure that we knew that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And then he talks about the angels who ascribe all glory to Jesus Christ. Beautiful third stanza. Stanza number four. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Oh come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. You notice how he repeats that, right? It just kind of drives it home, right? He wants us to get that. Drives to the heart of this song, a response from us. Wade closes his Christmas hymn with yet another affirmation of the true nature of Jesus. And he calls him word of the Father. And he says, now in flesh appearing. And he didn't come up with that on his own. You probably recognize that as well. That's from John chapter 1. Verse 14, and it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus was born, God became man, and He put on flesh, and He appeared to us, completely human and completely divine. Jesus is, in fact, the perfect expression of God in human form. And what a beautiful way to close this song. So those are the four stanzas. Really, really beautiful. Well written and there's some repetitiveness there so that we get it. But what do we take away from this favorite Christmas carol? Well, I think it's pretty simple and I just want to warn you ahead of time, you're not going to be, uh, it's not going to be shocking and awe in the room when I tell you what I think we take away from this song because I think it's pretty straightforward, okay? The first thing that we take away from O Come All Ye Faithful is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Now, of course, we can't literally visit Jesus in a manger because he's already been born. We could get on an airplane and fly to Israel and go to the Church of Nativity where they think he was born and we could see it and it could be a special moment, but he's already been born. So what do we do? The only way that we can come to Bethlehem is in a sense. We can reflect on the power of the Christmas story. And I just want to tell you, that is, that's one of the biggest temptations that we have is to miss that each and every year. Because we get lost in shopping. We get lost in, um, well, like, if your lights don't work on your tree. <laughs> it's been one of those years for me. I just want you to know, all right? <laughs> like, get them all up, they work. Turn it on the next day, they don't work. Put them on the front of the house, they work. Look how pretty it is. Oh, Then there's six lights out right on the front, of course. Why couldn't they be on the side? I don't know. That's how it works. <laughs> Tempting to get lost in things that don't matter. Reflect on the power of the Christmas story and recognize that Jesus is worth coming to. The shepherds came to Jesus. And that's an amazing thing. Do you think if we saw angels, like if all of a sudden the angels appeared to us and they sang and all that, I would at least be tempted after that happened to just kind of sit down and talk about the angels for a second. They didn't do that. They got up. The Bible says they hurried to Jesus. He is worth coming to. We must recognize that this song is an invitation for us to come to Jesus just as we are, just as the shepherds did, just as the magi did. And when when I hear that, come to Jesus just as you are, there's an old hymn, Just As I Am. Um... So there's many examples of coming to Jesus just as you are. But my current favorite example um, is my 11-year-old son. There comes a point in time in all of our lives, at least I hope, that there comes a point in time in all of your lives that we recognize that showers are a good thing. And deodorant is a good thing. We start to comb our hair. We, maybe we put on a little um, cologne or Axe Body Spray, guys, right? That's not a shower, by the way, junior high boys. It is not a shower, Axe Body Spray, all right? Ladies, you're putting on perfume, makeup comes into to play, the earrings, all of that. We come to a place where we recognize that uh, you know, maybe we should clean up a little bit, fix up a little bit, Right? So <laughs> this week. My son comes to me, 11 years old. He's gone through a fairly large growth spurt this year. And um, he's like, Dad, I think I want to get up every morning at 5.30, take a shower, put on deodorant. Literally, he said that. Put on deodorant, read my Bible, get dressed, go downstairs, eat breakfast. I said, okay, that's great. Just don't wake me up (laughs) because... I'm not getting up till 6, and I need you to not wake me up at 5.30. So, you know, I'm kind of thinking, well, that's, that's kind of good. I am glad that he has recognized that there are moments during the day in which he smells. And he needs to take care of that, right? So I'm glad for that. But being the dad that I am, I'm like, hmm, I wonder why this has come up now. So I ask him, son, Why? Do you want to take a shower and put on deodorant and comb your hair? Oh, well, uh, I just, I just kind of want to get cleaned up and fixed up, and um, uh, I just want to look nice for my friends. <laughs> I got you, boy. <laughs> I got you now. And so I'm like, ah, here it comes. All right. Friends, huh? Are you sure it's not for some girl? And he goes, huh. I knew I had him at that point, right? I knew. Just, that's all a that's all guy's got to say. So, so, of course, I, I poke at him a little bit about that. I was like, oh, getting all dressed up for the girl, huh? Sounds it's it's like you're too young to date, all right? So just get that out of your head. Um, but it's interesting. He recognized that he smelled and that, that maybe, I should, maybe that I should get cleaned up, dress up, look better, comb my hair. I need to get cleaned up, fixed up before I go to school. Well, I want to tell you something. One of the most powerful things about this hymn, and it's, it's encouragement to us to come to Jesus, is that we come just as we are. I want you to hear me say, if you miss everything else today, hear this. You do not have to be cleaned up or fixed up to come to Jesus. You come to him as you are today. So if you're, if you're spiritually not where you want to be, come to Jesus. You don't have to fix it before you go to him powerful. That's what this hymn drives us to. Jesus is the only hope for sinners like you and me. So we come to Jesus. And then the second thing, the true heart of the song is to come and worship Jesus, to adore Jesus. Come to Jesus, adore Jesus. Once the shepherds have encountered Jesus, Luke 2.18 tells us, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. So they leave the manger, and they go and tell about what they've seen. So those that they told it to were amazed. They thought on the things the shepherds said to them. They pondered them. And this gets to the core of what adore Jesus really means. It's worship. It's worship putting worth and praise on him. It's about love. It's recognizing his love for us and then in return our love to him. And it's treasuring in your heart. I love that right after uh, verse 18 there, it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. And I want to I challenge you today that to adore Jesus, we have to treasure him in our heart. What does that mean? Well, Think about what he's done for you. Think about who he is. Don't get lost in the hustle and the bustle this season. Treasure Jesus in your heart. That's how we adore him. Our response this Christmas season is to praise Jesus. The angels did it. The shepherds did it when they got there. When the magi got there, it says they were full of joy and they worshiped him. We are called to do the same. So... How do we do that? Well, when we sing, not just this song, but any song, we sing joyfully from our heart. We lift that up. But we also got to recognize that worship is so much more than the songs that we sing or the time that we spend in here together. It's what our life says about Jesus. Do we live joyfully? Do we recognize who he is and what he's done? And I always like it. Like, I like the statement Do you know Jesus? Yes. Well, then make sure and tell your face, okay? Make sure that your face knows that you met Jesus, right? Some of us walk around like that. I have a bad habit. You've probably noticed it if you've been around at all. Like when I'm singing in intense, I'll kind of get that whole intense squint thing going on, the furrowed brow. I have to think about it and raise my eyebrows up sometimes, right? Now, I'm not saying you should fake it or anything like that, but you know what? Countenance matters, The only way we can show others that we're joyful is to look like it. That's not real hard, but it's true, right? So that's the call. Will you come to Jesus? Will you adore Jesus? I am thankful for this wonderful Christmas hymn that we have that encourages us to do both.